Welcome to Communities Education Podcast Pension Special with Martin and Rob. In this episode, we look at GCSE and A-level exams and consider the pensions data breach for the university superannuation scheme. We consider all things pensions with our pension specialist, Janine Sampson, and we bust some pension myths. Yes, so hello and welcome to the Education Podcast for May, which this month, as we said at the top, is a pensions special. So all things pensions in this episode. But before we get going, first of all, thanks for subscribing, those of you that do. And if you don't, please do on whichever platform you use, whether it be Spotify or Apple Podcasts or any others, please do subscribe. And do let your colleagues and family know about the podcast and share widely. Leave us reviews because it really does help us to get this podcast out to more people. If you do want to contact us, and I'm sure we'll say this again during the podcast, you can do so at educationpolicy at community-tu.org. And we're always looking for ideas for our next podcast and for contributors. So please do get in touch. Right then, Martin, on to the here and now. So where do you want to start this month? This month, GCSE and A-level exams have started. SATs exams have now concluded in primary schools. But of course, all of the learning that is taking place in our primary and secondary schools and our sixth form colleges has been affected by COVID. Perhaps not as obviously as students who were unable to take their exams because of COVID, but nonetheless, the learning has been disrupted over the last two or three years. Ofqual have been clear that they are going to take account of this, but they are continuing their journey back to pre-COVID exam results. Dr Joe Saxton, the head of regulator Ofqual, said this summer was an important step back to normality, whilst also recognising the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. And so, as has been Ofsted's plan all along, 2023 will return to pre-pandemic grading as the next step in getting back to normal. But there will be some protections against any impact of COVID disruption, because as Joe Saxton said, it is the right thing to do. We're concerned about this journey back to normal, though, because some of the disruption that our students have experienced has been more profound, especially around mental health and well-being. And the ongoing long tail of COVID is leading to continued high levels of absence, both staff and students, which will affect learning and will then go on to affect exam outcomes and achievements. However, we are assured that grade boundaries will be set by the senior examiners after they have reviewed the work. And senior examiners will be guided in their decisions about where to set these grade boundaries by information about the grades that were achieved pre-pandemic by cohorts of students, as well as looking at prior attainment data. So therefore, broadly speaking, a typical student who would have achieved an A grade in their A-level geography before the pandemic will be just as likely to get an A grade this summer, even if their performance in the assessments is a little bit weaker in 2023 than it would have been pre-pandemic. And this same pattern of marking is the case for GCSEs, for A-levels, for vocational technical qualifications. And T-level assessment is also expected to be generous in this first year of awards to reflect the fact that these qualifications are new. So just to be clear, Martin, we're not exactly jumping and whooping for joy here, are we? I mean, we argued that uh, the pandemic was an opportunity for us to refresh and reform the exams system in the UK. Yes, that's right. We have written several times over the last three years about 
taking the opportunity that COVID has provided to look again at our exam system, look at ways that we can build in resilience and perhaps make sure that our assessment system rewards all students rather than those who can just perform particularly well in an exam. We also made good arguments that, as is happening in other countries, perhaps other areas of the UK, that the journey back to pre-pandemic grading should take account of all of the disruption that has happened. That would include this year's students who have been affected by COVID, continue to be affected by COVID, and have had an awful lot of their Key Stage 3 learning disrupted. And of course, we know that Key Stage 3 provides that vital foundation that is built upon in Key Stage 4 and in preparation for the exams. So we will be hoping that the outcomes, when they are published in August later on this year, will take account of the disruptions that have happened and that these students will not suffer any detriment. OK, so moving on then and the start of our pensions bit. So to so strap in, the USS, the University Superannuation Scheme, is in the news. It is, yes. Um, Capita, which run the university superannuation scheme, has been subject to uh, a major cyber attack back in March. And the company, which also runs services for the NHS and, and for the armed forces, previously said that the attack on its servers may have resulted in a limited amount of data being compromised. Now, I don't know about you, but the word limited suggests a small number. So learning that around 470,000 active, deferred and retired members could have been affected here moves, in my opinion, substantially from the word limited. Capita will be writing to all scheme members who've been affected as well as the employers. So if you're a member of the university's pension scheme, the university's superannuation scheme, do look out for mailing from Capita that will advise you on what to do next. Capita have put out a statement which says that they are very confident members' pensions remain secure. They have reviewed their own systems and controls to ensure they remain robust and they continue to engage to provide more information on the status of the potentially compromised data as soon as it becomes available. There is also a Q&A page on uh, the University Superannuation Scheme website, so do check that out if you have got any questions. Now then, grab the pitchforks and the torches because uh, state pension rises are back in the news, aren't they? They are. The state pension is due to rise to age 67 by the end of 2028, with normal minimum pension age increasing from 55 up to 57 as well. That means that those of you who might have been considering taking an early pension from age 55 will no longer be able to. You'll have to wait until you are 57. And the pension increases. The amount of money that people get in their pension has also increased. Those changes came into effect on the 10th of April. And this year saw an uplift of 10.1% on the weekly pension, taking it up to £203.85 per week for the full state pension pension. However, we are aware that members did not all see that pension increase come in in April. Some had to wait until May due to the four-week cycle that the state pension is paid in. So do check out your pension statements if you are in receipt of the state pension to check that this uplift has been passed on. And we have seen a minister suggest in the past week to that the state pension will have to rise again. I think what he said was that this would need to happen with the next government is a decision the next government would have to take but he seems convinced that this is going to have to rise further uh, over the next 20 years. 
There have been ongoing conversations over the past 10 years or so about state pension needing to rise in order to be able to account for the rising number of people that are in that latter third of their lives, but also making sure that there are enough people in the middle third of their life, their working lives, that are able to actively contribute to the pension schemes, both private and state pension schemes, and simply to provide the funds for those people who are retired. We also know that as people live longer, they require more money to continue to fund their retirement. Um, And so this is all part of a, a long ongoing discussion about where pensions are at the moment and where they will need to be to enable people to receive a state pension when they retire. Of course, across the world, we're seeing an awful lot of uh, change in pensions as well. France has recently increased their state pension age up to uh, 64, and there were huge protests. So this is uh, something which is happening around the world. So keep your eyes peeled. And um, can you hear the people sing, <laughs> singing the songs of angry men? <laughs> Vive la France! <laughs> Okay, moving on then to your working life. And as we said at the start of the podcast this month, we are privileged to have with us Janine Sampson, our technical officer for pensions. Good morning to you both and good morning, everybody else. Good morning, Janine. Great to have you with us. Now, this is actually the start of a two part special uh, on pensions on the podcast. Um, So, Janine, if we can start, please, with maybe just defining the types of pensions that we have. So um, over to you. What what kind of pensions do people normally have access to? Right. Well, there are two types of pensions that we have. Um, We have what's called the defined benefits. That's your public sector pensions, your teachers, national health service, civil servants, local government. And some company pensions also have um, defined benefits pensions. These are final salary or were final salary, but now have moved to career average pensions. And the pension is based on salary and service. The benefits that you get are usually an annual pension and a lump sum, and it's a guaranteed pension for life. The second type is the defined contributions pension. This is for your auto-enrolled workplace pensions, private pensions, and it's based on what is paid in and how the money grows, i.e. it is market driven. So what you put in, you might not necessarily get back out. The benefits usually come under the 2015 freedoms, which means you can take 25% tax free and then you can either draw down or buy an annuity or a combination. And all pensions are based on pay contributions on your earnings. You know, you've sort of called the defined benefits a final salary and a career average. What do those things actually mean? Final salary is based on your salary, your your final salary, basically. Career average is over the course of your career. I'm not sure if I'm explaining that very well. So just to make it clear for me, Janine, as a a person that doesn't really understand pensions, what what is drawdown? What's, What's an annuity? And why can I take one of those from a defined contribution scheme? But I'm not allowed to on one of the the final salary or career average schemes that, for example, teachers might have access to. Drawdown is where you can take lump sums, little lump sums every so often if you want to. Presumably that then affects the the amount of capital that that there is still. Yes, the the capital remains, but you take out lump sums as and when you want them. You can take them regular, you can take them irregular um, and they 
they're taken from the capital, the capital remains where it is until it dwindles away to nothing. And so how is that different from an annuity? What 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 would I be doing if I was buying an annuity? If you buy an annuity, that you're buying a guaranteed amount for life, and that is paid regularly, the same amount for life. So how is a pension actually calculated then, Ginny, when you get to the end of your career and you're 60, whatever, 70 for me probably, uh, and you want to take your pension, how's it going to be calculated? Right, for the teacher's pension scheme and most public sector pensions, it's based on your salary and service. Now, teacher's pensions, they have two pensions, final salary and career average. So the final salary element is calculated using the salary and service. The salary, average salary, is calculated as the higher of the average best consecutive three years revalued salaries in the last 10 years or the last recorded 12 months of pensionable service before retirement. Now, you're going to ask me what's the average salary in the best three years. So what they do when you retire, they count back 10 years. They revalue all those salaries you had within those 10 years and index link them to today's value. And then they select the average of the best three years in those revalued salaries. Blimey. Well, good job. But uh, we've got you, haven't we? (laughs) At the union, let's be honest. Um, That links back, I think, Martin, doesn't it, to uh, what we were talking about last month um, with the McLeod remedy with uh, the two different kinds of teachers pension schemes. Um, so that when you're talking there about those two different ones, um, that's what that links back to. So go back and listen to last month's podcast if you haven't done so already. Um, so what if you um, break the teacher's pension scheme salary link, Ginny? What, what, what does that refer to? When the pension is calculated, it is calculated on your salaries that you've been working on up till you retire. Breaking the link is if you have a break of more than five years then the um, pension is calculated where that break happened. This might be a good time to ask, does, does everybody have to pay into a pension? What are, what are the actual rules on paying into a pension or employers paying in on your behalf and so on? Yes, currently everybody who qualifies or is eligible must pay into a pension. Usually in the uh, teachers, public servants, they automatically are enrolled into that particular pension scheme. They can opt out. I think it's best if they stay in. And um, do if you're not a teacher, you, you're still auto-enrolled, aren't you? Yes, you are auto-enrolled. Um, I have got a little section later on about auto-enrollment. Oh, we're going to come back to that then. Fantastic. <laughs> so for now then, how can members tell if they are contributing to a pension scheme? Have a look at the pay slip. If you're pen- paying into a pension from your salary, it'll be listed on your pay slip. There'll be a pension contribution element in there somewhere. Um, If you think you are in a non-public sector pension scheme, but you don't have any paperwork or you can't remember, you can actually go on to what's called the Pension Tracing Service, which is found on .gov.uk. And you can search for your employer's scheme details via a little questionnaire they have there. And it'll give you the contact details and then you can write to them and say, was I in this pension scheme? I think now might be a good time to introduce uh, your favourite phrase. Martin and I are always joking that our favourite phrase is uh, check your contract, check your contract, check your contract. So for you, Janine, what's your favourite phrase? Because I know you've got one. Check your service record. Keep your pay slip. So what do we need to do to check our service record? How 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 can we do that? Let's assume we're a teacher. What is the process, uh, perhaps, of of checking our service record and if there are issues with our service record how do we go about getting that sorted out right to check your service record if you go onto the teachers pensions website and there is a section on there called my pension online 
you should ideally be registered on there. Um, you'll need your national insurance number and your DFE number to register if you haven't already registered. And once you get into your account, you should be able to find your employment history in one of the tabs. Just look through your employment history. It should be listed line by line of usually it goes up to the 31st of March and then there's a new line for the 1st of April onwards to sometimes to September, to, sometimes for the entire year to the 31st of March. Just check through it carefully because it's in lots of lines, so you might miss one, but check through it carefully and just check that all your service is there and is correct. Would, would you say that's the most the, the most common thing that members contact us about? The most common issue that I get contacted about these days is missing service and gaps in the service, which I am happy to help with if they do have an issue with this. So coming back to the, the what I said earlier then, We've now been on the teachers' pensions website, we've checked our service and we've noticed that there's missing service. What, what do we need to do? What information do we need to gather and, uh, and, and, and how do we go about getting that corrected? It does depend when the um, gap is. So the first thing you should do, if it's a recent gap, as in the last couple, three, six years, go to your employer in question and tell them there's a gap in your service they should have a look and notify teachers' pensions who should then rectify the gap. If it's later or earlier rather, so pre-2016, then you've got a bit more of a sticky wicket because some employers only keep records for six years. So what sort of records would we need to look at in order to prove that we were paying into a pension scheme? Presumably, we're going to be going back to, to our payslips. Is, pay is that right? Payslips pay is the best way to prove contributions. You can, pre-2016, your P60 will give an indication that you were in a public service pension scheme because on the national insurance section, there will be a letter D. That's the code for contracted out. If you were contracted out, then you are obviously paying contributions into some form of pension scheme. Keep hold of your payslips because that's always where the absolute... Always keep your payslips. Yeah, always fab. keep your payslips. So just, just contract, 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 payslips, payslips, payslips. So just one one more point on this, though, um, because this is something that happens a lot, obviously, now with schools becoming academies and that sort of yeah. thing, and maybe nurseries closing, even schools closing in some areas. If you haven't kept your pay slips and you can't get into, what if you can't get in touch with the school? Like, how do you go about getting the service added back to your records if there's no one to contact? Right. First of all, if there is a school, you always go back to the employer. The employer technically is the only organisation that can notify the pension scheme of missing service. If there is no employer anymore, the academy is closed, the school's closed, the nursery's closed, then you go to the scheme. But it is incumbent on you to prove that you paid the contributions, which is why payslips are the most important thing you must keep. If there are no records, if the school holds no records anymore or the school doesn't exist anymore, you can contact the HMRC for a document called a contracted out history. This will actually tell whoever that you were contracted out to a particular scheme and it will name the particular scheme. That will assist. And another document you can get from the HMRC is called a subject access request. And this should show your employment and your history of earnings. So those two documents combined should, in theory, let the scheme know that you are working for a particular employer and you were in a particular scheme. 
Wow, so that was uh, a lot of information um, to, uh, to to take in there. But I think we're going to move on to this month's Mythbusters. Boom! So they're pension related. This will be no surprise to anybody uh, this month. They're pension related. So I've got quite a few, um, but um, we'll, we'll start off with this one. Can I just ask, is it fair, since we've got Janine here, to ask her to help out answering some of these myths this month? Do you, you mean think you don't want to do reasonable? it on your own, Martin? I absolutely <laughs> don't feel qualified to do this all by myself. So Janine is going to help to try and bust some of these myths alongside me this month. OK, right. So for the pair review, then, here's the first myth. I am automatically paid my pension when I reach pension age. Full stop. Go. As Janine has mentioned in uh, the podcast, you do have to apply if you want to receive either a local government or an auto-enrolled pension or the teacher's pension scheme. And it's a good idea to do that three or four months um, before you want to receive your pension to allow the scheme to get it all organised and uh, to make sure that they've got all the right details, make all the checks possible. Um, so if you want to receive your pension when you reach pension age, then do make sure that you apply to make sure that that can happen. Janine, anything else that I need to be saying about uh, pensions when I reach my normal pension age? No, not really. I think you've said it there. You must apply for it. You also must have left your job to get it, especially if you're in a public sector pension scheme. Um, this is because the pension scheme doesn't know that you want your pension you might be continuing working for all they know so that's why you must apply for it okay so what you're saying is pension scheme aren't mind readers so you have to apply for your pension so that they know exactly. you've stopped working and that you want your pension age well that brings me on to my second myth buster quite nicely almost like it's planned and that's this i can't take my pension because i'm still working this is true you can't take your pension because you're still working unless you go through the process of applying for your pension. As we've mentioned, you have to let the pension scheme know that you want to take your pension. And as Janine mentioned, you must also stop working before you can take your pension. However, it is possible once you have applied for your pension, stopped working and begun to receive your pension to start working again. So it is possible to work and take your pension at the same time. But there is a process that you must go through and forms that you need to fill in and a whole system that has to be uh, gone through in order to make sure that that happens. It's not complicated, but there's a way that you have to do it. You can also continue working if you are on a phased retirement plan. This comes back to something that Janine mentioned earlier with regards the the service in the last 10 years of employment and making sure that you don't affect that. Janine, anything else that we need to add? Well, I'll just mention a little bit about phased retirement, what it is. So phased retirement, if you are over 55, you can apply for phased retirement. It, other schemes may have a different word for it, but the teachers' pensions call it phased retirement. This means if you reduce your salary up to 20% for, the, for a whole year, you can take up to 75% of your pension benefit. You don't have to stop working. You don't have to have a break in service. You just say you want it from this day and from that day you do it. You must complete a form within three months of lowering your salary and you must have your employer's consent to do it. And when you're working, you will receive your salary and you will receive your reduced pension benefits. 
and the pension benefits that have remained in the scheme will be added to by the employment that you're doing. And when you finally retire, you can take the rest of your benefits. One thing I would mention, if you are planning to take your pension and go back to work, you must have a day's break between the last day of your pensionable service and the first day of your re-employment. This is so teachers' pensions can see you had an intention to retire. Even if you didn't, they can see that you did. Would that be a weekend or does it have to be a working day? It can be a weekend, but what teachers' pensions usually like to see when you go back to work is that you go back, but there has to be a change in your new contract. You can't just go back to exactly the same job. Teachers' pensions used to describe it like walking around the car park. So they finished finished the day, walked around the car park and then just gone back to work. You can't do that. You must have a break and they do like to have a slight change. It can be a change in the hours. It can be a change in your job title, but they do like to see there was a change and an intention to retire. Well, Janine, you should be on the podcast more often because I think that's the most uh, succinct and quickest Mythbusters we've done. Now, we are going to have more pension Mythbusters next month, but for this month, that's the Myth Busted. And that brings us to the end of another education podcast. Uh, So it just remains for us to say that uh, don't forget, if you want to get in touch with us here at the podcast, you can do on education policy at community-tu.org. Follow community on social media for news, shared content and resources. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter and on Instagram. For any help and advice, the first place to go is our website, www.community-tu.org, where you can check out Frequently Asked Questions, the Advice Centre and information sheets. If you are a member and you need casework support, then please contact your regional team or call our call centre on 0800 389 6332. And finally, don't forget to like and subscribe and tell everyone to join us on the Education Podcast. <laughs>